Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good evening, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Melbourne, Australia, and we are The Thought Hackers. With us today is a woman by the name of Erin Goodwin. She was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis at the age of 26. The illness came on really hard and fast, and the next 12 months were spent in and out of hospital. After many types of different medications in large amounts, a month on IV steroids, and 13 days of no sleep, her bowel perforated, and she died while on the operating table. She was revived, and she woke up with a temporary stoma. Three years, four stomas, and 12 surgeries later, she found herself with a permanent ileostomy and ostomy bag. Erin struggled for years with mental health issues and hopes to help make a difference for the other 40,000 fellow ostomates around the country to live a better life and to be stronger than before. So Erin, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Nathan, for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You know, when, when you first uh, sent over your bio, I was looking at it, and I initially looked at that, that picture of you, and it threw me off a little bit, and I'm thinking, and, the, and there's something about it, and then I read your bio, and then I, then I took a closer look at that picture, and I saw this white thing on your, I believe it's on your right side. I thought, what's that? And I thought, oh, that must be the, the ostomy bag. Is that correct? He, yes, you are correct, and that's not a common, um, an uncommon thing. That most people will see that image, and they won't even see that there is an ostomy bag actually attached to my um, abdomen, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure, I can see that. But I mean, it, it, I didn't notice it right away, and I wouldn't have noticed it if I hadn't read the bio. And then I read the bio, and I looked at your picture, and I thought, oh, wait a second, what is that? And then it hit me. And I've never seen one before until I looked at your pictures. So there you go. Most people are not aware of what an ostomy actually is. And there's quite a, a large stigma around um, colostomies, which is what most of them call an ostomy. But there's actually a variety of ostomies out there. There's not just a colostomy. is only one type of an ostomy. I'm somewhat aware of it because of different relatives of mine who have had Crohn's disease, who have had surgery for it. I think one of my relatives wound up with an ostomy bag at one point, so I was very familiar with it, although I had no idea what it looked like or anything else until I read your bio, and, then, and that's like, oh, so that's what it is. Now I understand. That's what mostly what I'm about, is getting awareness out there so that we can um, break the illusion that it's something that's dark, I guess, because it's really not. It's, it's, you, didn't, you don't even notice that it's there. We're as normal as the next person. Yep. We just go to the bathroom differently. And yes, for been, sure. You've been through quite a journey to get to that place, too, to get to that point with having the ostomy bag. Tell us a bit about that journey. Uh, yes, it was definitely a journey. <laughs> um, so as my bio said, I was 26 when I first got diagnosed. I just was run down and had no energy. I was losing weight. I was bleeding, and I just didn't exactly know what was going on because I'd always been very healthy um, my whole life. So I went to the doctors and 
um, after, like I said, many, many calls into hospital, I actually got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and we tried saving my bowel by doing many, again, different medications, um, all of which failed and ended up with um, me dying on the table. But after that, there was numerous, so I had 12 surgeries. They were all around trying to save my bowel, reverse my ostomy bag so that I could live without having an ostomy bag, so I could live with something called a J-pouch. Um, but my body just wasn't, it didn't play the game it was supposed to. I ended up with fistulas and pouchitis and inflammation and something called urethia nodosum where my legs swelled up with these big fat lumps of red that basically made me not be able to walk. So I was in a walker at 29. So before I was 30, I felt like I was 90. Wow. Wow. Yeah, stereo there, Hamish. Yeah. Holy smoke. We we go wow a lot with a lot of these interviews. It's, uh, this is true. The stories we, are we, incredible. We do. We do. I mean, some of the stories we hear from people like one guy who you will hear if you listen to the podcast, the story of Adil Amarsi and what he has to say. Holy smoke. We we were I, I know I was sitting here with my jaw on the floor. I'm sure Hamish yeah. was the same way. And your story too is just oh my gosh! I just want to touch very quickly because it's um just just the the part that you you died on the operating table. Explain that a little bit and how, coming back from that. Um, well, to be honest, I don't I don't particularly remember no, that you time. No. <laughs> um, because I was under anaesthetic. But funnily enough, I did wake up. Um, in massive pain in recovery and then I got put into my hospital room and I actually died again because the pain levels went through the roof to the point where my body couldn't cope with them and I do remember that and it's this is the strangest thing that I've ever felt in my life and I don't know if there's another side I have no idea about that mm. but I do remember that I saw I had both my father and my stepfather both passed away when I was younger. Um, but I remember telling my mother that I would be okay because they were there waiting for me. So she was sitting next to the hotel, the, the hospital bed with me. And I was telling her that, don't worry, I would be absolutely fine. My fathers were going to look after me. It was time for me to go. And then I died. Mm. So, it was, yeah. and then I woke up. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, just going back. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that the um, gentleman you were talking about um, before the interview that you did with him, I actually listened to that and the whole I am grateful for, you know, waking up and being grateful for things. I actually found that that worked uh, to a point with me. I've come across lots of different ways to try and deal with these things, but that yes. was one of them. And I found it interesting that other people do it as well. Yes. Gratitude's yeah, a huge the, it's, it's an enormous, uh, enormously powerful practice. And there's so many different variations of it. Like there's a, a guy out there by the name of Sean Aker. He wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. And one of the things that he talks about is gratitude practice. And so instead of writing out a list of, say, five things that you're grateful for each day, what he was suggesting, if I remember correctly, is that you pick two people in your life and you write a short email to those people each day. That's a very powerful practice, too. That would be amazing because not only would you feel like you'd get that rush from being helpful to other people, and but you'd help them at the same time. So it's kind of a win-win on both sides. Mm. Yep. So, Erin, you struggled for years with mental health issues. Tell us the story with that. So pre-ostomy, I was 
as extroverted as they come. I was never home and I used to basically pride myself on being life of the party. I've caught my ostomy and I um, I guess I turned into an introvert. I became severely depressed. I was super anxious about everything um, and I just didn't want to leave the house. I felt like everybody was looking at me. I felt like I I smelled like there was just all of these factors that triggered anxiety in me to the point where I just, I really didn't leave the house for years. I pushed away everyone that I loved. I'm very lucky that I had some really strong people that could deal with that, but there were some good people that I lost because of that. Yeah. So, so can you give us an idea of like, what were some of the predominant thoughts that were going through your mind during that time? Um, there was a lot of hate, to be honest, a lot of self-hatred. Um, I ah, couldn't believe, yes, I couldn't believe that my body had failed me so completely and that I felt so useless and childlike, um, because I had no energy. I couldn't even lift my head up some days. I had no energy. So like going to the bathroom, you'd get, someone would have to help you do everything. You'd have to be helped in the shower and it just, sorry, I'm crying now. Um, but yeah, you felt useless. Self-hatred, I think, comes up more often than than people realize. And if we can delve into it a bit more deeply, I think it can help a lot of people here. So when you were going through that, how did you get yourself out of it? What did you do? That's a really good question. I, I To be honest, it took a lot of time. And there was no one quick fix. There was a lot of things I tried. Um the I think the biggest turning factor was taking control of my life. So getting an ostomy, I assumed that once I had it, I would be fine and I pinned everything on getting reversed. The fact was that my reversal failed, so I spent three years in and out of hospital. So it was a good it was about year two when I actually found my husband. He clearly wasn't my husband that day, but he was <laughs> to be my future husband. Um, and I started wondering more about the quality of life rather than, you know, a bag versus not having a bag. So I started looking at different options and getting more opinions. And the more educated I found myself getting, the the easier it became to deal with. And my husband's a very logical person. So he's he's my counterbalance, basically. So when I be, <laughs> become a bit one way or the other, he will bring me back to some sort of logic and then I'll be able to use that to to bring myself back into reality. But the other thing is that I did, funnily enough, um, Hamish, you were saying that you are an NLP practitioner and I actually did a one-day course with NLP and from that I went Mm. on to a class that was called The Art of You, which was uh, designed around NLP principles and um, started learning about the thinker and the prover and the fact that you will find anything to prove what you think. So that kind of put a whole different spin on my thoughts so I started taking control of those thoughts I guess and then spinning them around and bringing myself back to the positive person I was pre-ostomy and then I realized that I would find things that were positive about it and now that's pretty much what I aim to do in every day of like I'll see the negative and I'm like how do I turn this into a positive Mm. yeah that's a big piece and the other thing would it would it be fair to say that as part of this journey you came to a place of acceptance that would be very fair to say, Nathan. Um, acceptance was key because without the acceptance, I couldn't move on and become the person I am today. So when you when you reached that level of acceptance, what what happened? How did 
how did it change things for you? Everything became easier, so it no longer became a. I'm, I don't know. I stopped thinking about the, the long term and even though I, it all of a sudden was very long term and just started thinking about the day to day, like what uh, what was I doing today and focus on the now, I guess, so that I was in the present rather than concerned about all of the worries that could have happened um, yes. with, with the problem, I guess. Yes. The stories that we tell ourselves, uh, there's this statement, uh, the mind can put us in heaven or it can put us in hell. And it's our thinking that does it, and you're you're graphically demonstrating exactly that. They, I guess, I still find it very hard. So I'm 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 past where I was. I'm still very positive, but I do find it very hard when my body still fails me, <laughs> and it still tends to do that. Not as nearly as frequently, but I still have back pains, and I get sick a lot quicker than other people. My immunity is very low a lot of the time. So I struggle with a lot of things day to day, in particular energy. But I I don't know, I just I feel like I can get past all of those things if I just think about the the next best thing or the next positive thing or I hope that makes sense. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It makes a lot of yeah. sense. And you're an ambassador and uh, different support groups and associations, ostomy associations and support groups. You'd clearly you you would come across a lot of people who are going through the stuff that you've been through and starting, you know, having the same thinking, the, you know, the, the mental health issues around it too. What sort of advice do you give people who are sort of beginning that journey that you've been on? How do you help them to get through that? I'm so glad you asked that. Um, really, it's all about showing them that they're not alone, that you're... There are so many other people going through similar circumstances to you, if not exactly the same. So it's really about reaching out and asking for help. And if you can put your story out there, you'll realize that there's a lot of people that have the same story. Mm. Um, going back to the support groups, the reason I started them was because I felt so alone and I didn't want anyone to fall into that self-hatred um, place that I had fallen into because it was so dark that I thought if I could help anyone before they got to that point, then I was doing a good thing. So that's why we started all the support groups within WA Ostomy Association. And as you said, I'm the youth ambassador for AXA, which is the Australian uh, Stoma Committee of Associations. And basically through that, I've set up some, helped um, set up some support groups in Melbourne now. And I'm also running a youth engagement, uh, I guess, thing across the whole of Australia to try and get more youth involved in the ostomy arena because it's very situated or I guess it looks like it's a very old people's disease but it's it's not it affects yep. the entire population babies right the way through to old yeah so so when you encounter people who are are dealing with this issue what do you say to them what's the first thing that you would do I I generally give them a hug <laughs> nice that's a good place to start perfect perfect you sound like some friends of mine I've got some friends who go around with uh uh, free hug certificates that they hand out or sort of business cards good for one hug <laughs> I should get some of those because I I think that it helps like I talk to a lot of people online and a lot of those conversations are around you know thank you for seeking help and um, I, you know just kind of telling them that they're not alone that you've been through similar circumstances or trying to point them in the direction that someone has that you know someone that has similar circumstances. But if you're face-to-face, -face, 
you can get that personal touch. So really it is, I've already spoken to the most of them on a social media context before they come into my support group. So I kind of already know them. So the first thing I do is just give them a big giant hug, <laughs> let them they're not, they're not alone. If they want to cry, they can cry. If they want to laugh, they can laugh. But you know, sometimes you can do both simultaneously and it's a huge release and that helps them just by that physical touch. Yeah. And Erin will fly yeah. any, anywhere in the world just to give you that hug. <laughs> you're, if you're paying, I'll fly anywhere you like. I'm a hugger and I love it. <laughs> so, I imagine you, you know, this place where people get to where they are alone and not, you know, certainly with what you're seeing with uh, people going through the ostomy experience and the, the, um, the thinking around that, but certainly what we experience too with people through all sorts of trauma that they are in a place that they think they are alone and you know the judgment and the stigma and the you know every all that sort of thinking that of what other people are thinking of what they they think people are thinking of them what sort of advice do you give people with that with that stigma and the judgment the one thing that i have realized is that we are all very me centric <laughs> so 99% of the time everybody is thinking about themselves and that's not a bad thing that that's a that's a good thing because yeah. you have to survive so the fact is that they are not focusing on you they don't see you the way that you see you only you see you that way yeah. so it's we are much harsher critics on ourselves than anybody is on us yeah that makes total sense mm. i mean it it is really interesting because there there are different ways of getting out of that that mental state of thinking everybody's looking at me, everybody's judging me. And um, a really great way of getting out of it to see or to hear directly what people are thinking of you or what they might be thinking of you is to ask them, are, are you having this experience of me? And, and many people will almost certainly say, no, nah, wasn't thinking about you at all. I was thinking about this problem I've got. And like you said, they're me-centric. And the more that we realize that people are functioning from that space and we realize that they're not, quote, looking at us, then that takes away a lot of that, that worry, that, that fear, that sense of being judged. We're actually running a self-perpetuating loop where we think that something's happening, which in fact is not real at all. But unless we check, which is what most people don't do, they don't check and they assume that this is happening that's where we wind up running into trouble. But the moment we check, assuming we have the presence of mind to do so and the courage to do so, then we can find out that the reality is a lot different than we thought it was. I think the, the key word that you just used there, Nathan, was the courage to do it. Mm. And courage is something that I find very hard to find when you're having anxiety or if you're in a deep depression state that having that ability to think outside yourself and actually ask what someone else is thinking of you is a brilliant idea but very hard to do Agreed. I think when you're in that part. Agreed. It's, it's very hard. Um, you really have to force yourself to do things in, in that state. In an anxious state of mind which tends to be living in the future, the, the challenge is to to bring yourself back to the present. I mean, you might might have to grab a paper bag as if you're hyperventilating and start breathing into the paper bag to, you know, calm yourself down. 
And um, so you're absolutely right. When you're in those states of mind, it's, it's next to impossible to do that. So Erin, what do you do to find the courage? Um, when anxiety comes, I, <laughs> I tend to use a few techniques about, um, you know, like five things I can hear, four things I can smell, three things I can touch, like those sorts of mm-hmm. um, grounding exercises to bring me back to, to where I'm at. Yes. Um, I, um, yeah, so it's just about bringing myself back into yep. the moment that I'm at. Um, and it's funny because, you know what, people might be looking at you, but they're look- they could be looking at you for a completely different reason. And I say this because I recently went to Malaysia and I got the, the confidence within myself to actually wear a two-piece uh, bathing suit mm-hmm. and my ostomy bag was on show and I was super self-conscious about it. But when I, what I realized is they were looking at me, but they were looking at me in my head. I kind of changed around that I'm fit. I'm healthy. I actually look good. And that was what my husband kept telling me. He goes, you know, they're probably not even looking at the bag. They're probably looking at your full figure mm-hmm. as a, as opposed to just that, the bag. And like you were saying, Nathan, you didn't even see the bag as a, until you read my bio and realized that I actually had one and then went to focus on it. So it's a, yeah, most people don't even see it. It, it is a funny thing. It's it's like if you're told not to think of a pink elephant, what are you going <laughs> to think of? <clears throat> okay, I mean it's 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 silly, really. But there's this thing in the mind, I believe it's called the reticular formation, and it's like you, you notice how your life changes when you buy a new car, and then all of a sudden you see the same car everywhere you look. Yep, it's like that. Yes, I call it. Is it the reticular activator? Activating that's system. What, Activating yeah. system. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Had it no, wrong. and that's no, that's exactly right. But I know all about that as well, and I think that came from the prover and the thinker. That yeah. basically putting things into that little reticulator will make you find things to prove that. So it's so it seems, yeah. So in terms of the the self hatred, I mean, coming back to that, it it is, it's it's really important because the the self hatred is this this turning in. And if we don't examine where we are, what, what's actually going on, is there really a basis for this? And what, what you were saying, what you did to, to get yourself out of it, in, in order to start to find that inner freedom, we need to start questioning our thinking. And one of the questions you would ask yourself when you come up with a particular thought, is it true? Is it really true? And when you start punching through stuff like that, then you start going, oh, no, it's not true. Or did, but a really useful thing, which you, I don't know if you've done, is when some of these thoughts come up, it's like, where did this come from? Do you do any of that? Um, to be honest, Nathan, no, I don't think I have thought about where they come from. Actually, no, I'm going to take that back. I have, but only mainly since I started looking at, at your podcast and I've been listening to them over the last couple of, or the last week or so, I actually started looking more into why and actually started thinking about where these kind of things came from and was it all from my ostomy? Like did this all anxiety and anxiety, sorry, anxiety and depression all just come from that surgery and that kind of thing? But when I did that Art of You course, it actually goes back a lot further than that. Yeah. It wasn't it was much deeper, like it was much more family related and um, experience related through my entire life that just kind of, I guess, all came together in that one ostomy 
getting moment. Mm. Um, so, but it wasn't the ostomy per se that sent me down that path. That was just the final trigger point that sent me on that three-year path of not particularly liking myself. Yeah, and that's so important is to recognize the trigger because when you recognize the trigger, then you can do something about it. And so long as you don't know that or you're reacting in a particular way, not much you can do. But when you go and wait a second, where did this come from? And then you find that and you go, oh, that's why. And then when you look at it further, I'm willing to bet that you were probably able to trace it back even further, that there were even more events that were going on. Correct, Nathan. Um, it, there, there is a lot of events that lead up to things. But the other thing is, I think finding that trigger point that you were just talking about is that you can kind of find it and then sometimes you can catch yourself before it. Like over time, like I used to get closer and closer to the well and then I'd fall down into my depression well. But then over the last five to seven years, I've actually been able to stop myself at, you know, the five mile mark or first the one mile mark and then the two mile mark so that I can see the triggers and me getting closer to that tipping point so I can stop myself before I fully go over to the edge and then don't leave the house at all. So there's, by finding your triggers, you actually help yourself in aiding, I guess, not going back into that state again. But some of my key stress is one of my key triggers and stress is a lot around work and those sorts of things. So I need to balance those so that I know that I don't get stressed, so I don't get sick and then I don't get depressed and anxious. Sorry. Yep. It's amazing the resources that we can develop for the, through these journeys and the learnings and the and as you as you keep moving forward and you st keep strengthening those those resources and the habits around them, you don't have to think about it too much. It just, something just pops into your head that if a trigger starts to come up, it's just instantly gone. You can instantly just stop it. You sound so like you're important. sort of at that point, Erin. It's you know you've really mastered these resources quite well, but it's taken a lot of you know. There's been quite a journey getting there. Hamish, yes, you are, are correct. It's been a huge journey and I have found myself stronger on the other side of it. Mm. I'm much more aware of who I am. I'm much happier with myself. Like I said, I still have ups and downs, but I, I, I find those triggers and I stop myself before yep. I fall over the edge. So yep. I'm at that stage where I believe that I can help others. Um, Clearly. Mm. Yeah, find that trigger point and hopefully help them and stop them from going over into that depression yep. pit got to keep having the ups and downs i mean life is not a journey without them from the you know from the downs we learn and and experience the ups it's um but you know there's so many people uh in, in that mental health issues within that space that are where they are right now that, that they just cannot see anything in the future of any happiness any change how do i you know, not even thinking about how do i do this but it's these stories that Yes, you know, stuff does happen and we, we, we learn how to get through it. We develop the resources and as we move forward and strengthen them, it just gets different and we create the life that we want to create. But it, is, it doesn't stop. No, it's... life doesn't stop, but that's a good thing. <laughs> um... No, this is true. It doesn't stop now. For those are people who are listening to us, if somebody were to come to you right now, What's the very first thing that you would say to them about their situation, how to deal with it? Um, I would, I would, I would tell them to get, like, to ask for help, basically. To, so I'm not the be all and end all, but I can definitely point them in a lot of directions that can give them 
some aid or talk to someone that's been through similar situations. But I do think that by talking about it and not internalizing it, mm. you're getting it out there. So you're venting it and you're actually getting rid of all of that frustration rather than burying it inside, which is where it festers and ends up, you can end up in a bad place. Yeah, true. So in, in terms of those resources, what are some of those that you would recommend? Um, so I would recommend getting in contact with your local association and um, also finding out if there's some local support groups around you. Uh, the other thing is the online social media closed support groups within Facebook are amazing. There's 50 plus different ostomy support groups, not to mention all the anxiety, the depression, all of these groups that basically are people that are like-minded coming together to help each other. Um, and you don't even have to post on them. You can just read other people's stories and get inspiration from them. And then when you actually have enough confidence, then you can post into them and, and build yourself up that way. But basically making sure that you're not alone, getting yourself out there. And if you can't physically getting out there, getting out there in the social media world. Yes, that makes perfect sense. Hamish, do you have anything you wanted to add? No, I've, this has been a great conversation. It's um, you know, the the places that some people go to in life. Um, you know, you've been through an incredible journey, physically, mentally, uh, even dying twice. Now we learn, not just the once on the operating <laughs> table. Um, you know, you you're meant to be here to share stories with with other people and to inspire other people, and I'm, you know, you certainly do do that. It's been really enjoyable listening to your. Um, where you're at now from where you've been um, and this is what we want to help people to get to that place where you are now and punch through those barriers and develop those resources and change your thinking and you know you're very inspiring with what you've done so well done thank you Hamish I think you guys are doing a wonderful thing as well getting it out there and making more awareness about it that's our intention so for the people who have been listening if they want to learn more about you how would they do that Thanks, Nathan. I actually have a web page. It is insideoutostomy.life, um, also available on Facebook, which is, again, is Inside Out Ostomy Life. And I have Twitter and Instagram, which is both Inside Out Ostomy. So all of those social media, you can contact me through there. But do check out my web page. It has a lot of resources. It actually has a list of 50-plus support groups underneath the resources tab. Um, so there's access to that and to also a whole heap of bloggers that are doing similar things to me that I absolutely admire and I find them very inspiring. So check them all out. One thing I will just ask on that with the social media, you know, a lot of our listeners are not going to be in the ostomy situation but really m might really connect with what you've been talking about. Are they welcome to you know, join you somewhere and say, look, Erin, I, I listen to your podcast and I just... No, need to ask you something. I'm going through this. Could you help me with this? Absolutely. I'm not there just for the ostomy community, although that's where I do, yep. my niche does sit. Yep. I actually, body confidence, mental health, any of these things, overcoming these, just making your life the most positive and best that you can do, all of those things I focus on. So Wonderful. it's not solely ostomy related. It's very, very body confidence and just confidence in, in general. Yeah, that makes Thank perfect you. sense. It's, yeah. Yeah, especially after what you've been through, it, it, it makes total sense for you to be doing that. Thank you. You're welcome. I think that brings us to the end of our broadcast. So for those of you who have been listening, my name is Nathan Siegel. I'm with my colleague Hamish Baston. Our guest today has been Aaron, and I want to thank you very much for being on the show. And for those of you who have been listening, we are the Thought Hackers, 
and we will see you next time. You've been listening to The Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.